Hello and welcome back to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. Today we'll hear a conversation with director Guillermo del Toro about the black and white version of his latest film entitled Nightmare Alley, Visions in Darkness and Light. This conversation was moderated by Scott Mance and recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles on the film's opening night. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, a theater full of people. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out to the Landmark tonight for this extremely special screening of Nightmare Alley, Vision in Darkness and Light. What did you think of this movie in black and white? It is. Absolutely, my pleasure to introduce to you the Academy Award-winning producer and director of The Shape of Water, the director of Nightmare Alley, Vision in Darkness and Light. Please welcome Guillermo del Toro. Thank you. Thank you for coming tonight, guys. Thank you. I was painting models. <laughs> <laughs> well, Guillermo, I gotta ask, like, uh, you know, after The Shape of Water, like, what, what were you looking for? And, and, and did you already sort of have Nightmare Alley, because I know you love the book, like, in your yeah. mind, that well, it was gonna the, be the your best? Well, the book I read in the 90s, in the early 90s, and uh, it was impossible to think about making it, but we tried, Ron Perlman and I. Ron wanted to play Stan, he was young enough. And uh, we went to Fox and we said, you haven't seen my movie, it's called Kronos, and I'm a Mexican director, but I want to do this. And they went, no. <laughs> no. no. Also, the, it was, there was some problem with the rights or something. But it stayed in my mind. And uh, the thing with uh, Shape of Water is, uh, you know, I say, and people think I'm being like philosophical, but it's true. When, when you hit any success is when you need to stop and scare yourself again. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you repeat what got you there, then you lose your instincts. Mm -hmm. So you, I, every time I've had, I, I do a very weird turn. Well, I do it in every movie. I do only weird, weird turns. But I remember with uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I went and did Hellboy 2. I said, I got to get it made, and bam. You know, and I, I think that uh, with Shape of Water, it was a matter of trying to learn something new. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all of my life, I've been a fan of uh, noir and uh, hardboiled hard literature. Because I think there's a very interesting moment in America and where the prose emerges from the punchy prose of Hemingway is a moment in which America is reckoning uh, its identity with the industrial urban brutality and the pastoral ideals that founded the country. And the clash makes this, uh, for this absolutely frontal, brutal uh, piece of literature that uh, starts taking shape, not only on the noir and detective stuff, but on They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Day of the Locos, Miss Lonely Hearts, you know, and in painting, you have Thomas Hart Benton, Grant Wood, Edward Hopper, all of which were a big influence in this movie. And, and I thought, this is a moment of massive anxiety mm -hmm. that we're in. Uh, everybody uh, wakes up with a suffocation. And I thought, it's, and it's, so hard to get your coordinates about what's true and what's false mm -hmm. right now. At least, at least for me it is. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think uh, 
we are blurring not only that, but we're blurring the very tenets of the dialectic of what it is to communicate from one human to the other. And I thought this is time for call Stanton Carlyle into 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 existence because that's what that's what he represents for me. There's also we're working with closed systems of uh, of truth, which means that we only curate our instruments of learning the world with things that reaffirm what we already believe, and that's extremely difficult to to get out of because it's an addiction. It's an addiction to things that are hollow, like uh, uh, fame, uh, clicks, followers, whatever it is, and, and we start going into a little spiral. And 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 I I thought this is the guy. This is the guy to talk about that, to talk about addiction, even if it's materially or not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, and uh, we went to a very scary movie to make, uh, but worth it for me. Oh, I, you know, the thing is, like, when I saw the film for the first time in color, uh, it it didn't occur to me until until I was really like thinking about it over overnight and processing it that. This movie is really a departure for you in the extent that there's nothing genre about it. It's mm -hmm. grounded. It's a grounded film. Was that one of the things that, that made you go, this is going to be scary for me because it's going to be different in that way? Well, it has. It has. I, here's what I thought. I thought I can make it be a dark fairy tale. I can make it be a nightmare. I can make it be more dreamlike. So we made decisions about it from the beginning. And I would love to talk, you, uh, talk to you about it. As, you know, <laughs> if we go a little longer, screw it, you know? But I think that the beauty of it is he wakes up in realities, you know? He, he, he doesn't get there. We, don't, we follow him and then we don't follow him. He wakes up and he's in the carnival. He wakes up and he's in a luxury hotel. He wakes up and he has lost everything as a vagabond. Uh, he leaves the carnival in the middle with a happy ending. He has the book, the girl, the love, the act, and he says the world and everything in it. And then we cut, and it's two years later, and he's unhappy. Yeah, yeah. And and the movie is built like a circle. Uh, he, he he's crying at the end, and then you can go straight to him dragging the corpse. He's remembering that, and then the movie starts over again, and comes back to that. Uh, is is. Um, Pregnant with visual beauties, like we we have. Um, once he goes to the city, every set is a is an alley, mm -hmm. or every set is a circle, uh -huh. like the like the gig pit. <laughs> if you see the the cabaret is a circle, the his uh, rehearsal room has uh, the circle mirror, the circle window. When he's going through the light detector, there are the three circles and the three lamps on the ceiling, etc., uh, etc. Et and at the end. Uh, in in the final scene, he is uh, behind him. There is a giant circular window, and everything that has happened in the movie is in that trailer at the end. Uh, the medal the guy has is the medal of the sheriff. The color of the trailer is the color of the uh, geek pit. The the baby, the radio, the posters, all that is like there are two scenes in the movie that that show you the whole movie in a capsule. That one and the fun house. In between the devil and death, all the sins that Stan is going to go through are represented in there. And so we wanted to make it, we used to call it a Jungian nightmare because <laughs> it's full of symbols. And, and, and all that, the reality is a little heightened. So there is an element of that. And if I may, the character is a brother to the villains of Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Shape of Water. 
uh, the character, the, devil, the devil's backbone villain mm -hmm. is described as a prince without a kingdom, a man without love, mm -hmm. which is what this guy is. Uh, the, the villain of Pan's Labyrinth is a guy that is, has a huge problem with a shadow of his dad, which this guy is. Sure. And Michael in The Shape of Water is uh, the loneliest man on, on the movie, which this guy is. Anyway, what was what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you answered it like in the middle somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's a very lonely life painting models, man. <laughs> <laughs> but your, you know, the the production design in your films, it's like when you are watching a film directed by Guillermo del Toro. Am I right? You know it. You absolutely know it because your production design, your 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 costume design, the the, the makeup, uh, but. It, this felt like a Guillermo del Toro movie, but it still felt different. So, what were yes. what were the <clears throat> like the challenges for the production? I, I changed the way I should, in the sense that I normally, I, I was so proud since I was a kid until Shape of Water. All those years, I shot, I edited on camera mostly, meaning I shot only the little pieces. I didn't do masters and coverage generally, and I was so proud of that. I was so I felt so smart about it. And, and then I, I'm shooting Kate and Bradley uh, in, the, in one of those sessions. And all of a sudden, I find myself watching the movie rather than making it. I am like, oh, <laughs> what is going to happen? <laughs> oh, this is interesting. And then I started seeing that they started doing things that I didn't expect. They started discovering the characters for me. And I thought, I can't say God. I can't say God. So I started shooting everything on every ang on every one of the shots. I would shoot the whole scene and see what we found. Um, Bradley, collaborating with Bradley became so absolutely, uh, we, I used to say we have four eyes on the set, you know? We have, uh, we have uh, uh, the collaboration where we were constantly seeking. And he would be on the set, he was 99% in the movie, yeah. but even when he wasn't, he was on the set, and we would discover things. He would say, what if I give the, offer the geek a cigarette? What if, uh, for example, the scene with the sheriff, it was written really slow. He would come in and little by little seduce the sheriff, uh, very much like a, like, like a grifter. And he said, I want to do it running. I want to, because otherwise this guy would, be, would take me. And, and we said, let's try it. And he comes in running, no, no, sir, the electricity, the wheel is turning, the electricity, blah, blah, blah. And we went, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic, let's do it that way. And so on and so forth. I mean, and uh, we would discover things on the day. Um, and many, many other things were planned minutiously and stayed. Sure. It was not all discovered, but it is the first time where I learned to listen to the movie. When I'm so, it. describe that. Describe you. You are every day. Look, uh, I always say uh, directing is a hostage negotiation with reality. <laughs> you, you know, when people say, "Oh, the vision," you go, "What vision? I gotta make the day." Uh. You know, if this is not working, I go for another solution. That's partially listening, but listening really to the movie is uh, you show up much earlier, you uh, rehearse, and then you see if there's other possibilities you have not considered. And it's not just opening yourself to the accident, but actually embracing it. I'll tell you this story. The final shot of the movie, we made the whole movie as a prologue to the last three minutes of the film. 
because that's what the movie is about. It's about that horribly sacred moment when you see yourself in a mirror at the end of your life, which uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we all are going there, by the way. <laughs> all our tickets are punched and it says death. Okay, here we go. You know, and, and, uh, and uh, we knew that moment was gonna be the most scary moment because it was, it was written in the screenplay. This is a single shot and everything is on his face. No cuts, no music, no soundtrack, nothing. Is the camera, the naked actor, and the lens. That's it. And Bradley and I were like thinking, well, you know, we'll carry that half of the trailer everywhere we go, and we'll shoot it as many times as we need. We'll prepare, and we'll shoot it every week, and we'll shoot Tim Blake Nelson out, and we'll shoot you 20, 30, 40 times. And then one morning, Miles, my partner, producer partner, comes in and says, there's hurricane-level winds. you got to shoot the ending. And we were completely unprepared in the sense that we had not specifically signaled it. I said, I can't do it. And he said, well, then we're going to lose the day. And, and uh, I look at Bradley, and Bradley went, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> you know, what can we lose? So we went at it, and he was already in a costume for the other scene. He changed, he did the beard, uh, the hair, came in. We shot it, we rehearsed two, two rehearsal takes, and what you see in the movie is the first complete take. And, and we, we got it. We got it on the first complete take. Amazing, amazing. So, so just, uh, let's see, today's Friday. So two days ago, uh, we had the uh, SAG Award nominations, and Kate Blanchett was nominated for Supporting Actress yes. for this movie, yeah. and... She is fantastic in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Talk about that, and, and especially the scenes that she has with Bradley. Which no, is we, we, we wrote uh, most of the parts for the actors that got them. We wrote them specifically for her. I, I had developed this, uh, a noir series for Kate that never got made. Uh, it was uh, called The Nutshell Murders, and, and uh, it took place in L.A. in the 40s, and uh, we had many meetings about it and why I wanted to do noir. Because, again, I've been trying to do noir since I was a kid. In fact, my first movie was going to be a Mexican noir, not Kronos. And finally, I was able to do it. But I talked to Kate. We got along so much. She's so easy to get along. She's incredibly light. Which is, and she's, she's, nobody knows this, so now I'm going to tell you. Uh, she, she, we had such a good time in this movie that she says, I want to play a part on Pinocchio. And I say, the only part left is a monkey. I said, I'll play the monkey. <laughs> and she plays the monkey on Pinocchio. <laughs> so, and she's the whole movie. And she goes, oh, <laughs> like Kate Blanchett does. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's the spirit in which she works. She's fascinating. And, and it's such a precision. The line, which I love the line, uh, you're, you're nothing but an oaky with straight teeth. Yep. Every take between the T and the R, her lip trembled. In every single take. <laughs> she can, you can say, look, change this, she changes it. But she is really precise and very real. Now, the, the risk, and it's diminished in the black and white, but we, we knew that it was two parts. We knew that the carnival 
was going to be one texture, and then it was going to be a, a place that was honest about being dishonest, and then you went to the city that was going to bring a lot of different style. The, the language changes. Yep. Stan, who didn't talk for the first half much, can't stop talking. Yep. And with Kate comes a rival that brings all the classic cinema with her. Mm -hmm. The camera moves differently, uh, the language rhythms are differently, and it's not an easy thing to deliver. And uh, she did it. She was channeling Catherine Hepburn, she was channeling, uh, you know, you name it, Barbara Stanwyck, she was, uh, she was many, Lauren Bacall, she was every, and she knew the precision of the acting because Lilith, if you see it again, she is really, really studied the way she moves. She said, what would you, how would you define Lilith? And I said, we're going to give you your patch of prairie, and you're the alpha predator in there. <laughs> so you move like a lion or a tiger would move in the hill that belongs to them. So move very precisely in, in, in your area. And, and, and she moves mm -hmm. very much like a large cat. You well, know? you know, she, I mean, she won an Academy Award for playing Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator, so she mm -hmm. was, like, right at home uh, doing this. So, so, you know, every movie has its own set of unique producing and directing challenges. But while you were making this movie, I mean, you had the mother load because, like, after you were done filming the first part of the film, you know, in March of 2020. The second part of the film. It was the second which part. Which we shot it first, yeah. So, so how did you... How did you deal with like the lockdown? How long were you? Uh, what did you? Was your hiatus? We were six months down, and uh, uh, we we counted. Uh, I counted in pounds. Bradley lost fifteen, and I found them all, and and and, and a few more on top of that, because that Uber Eats thing is not a good thing to do. You know, as feels too easy. Uh, but but I I uh, what what happened? If you, how do we measure it? I'll tell you how. We, we finished, we, we were interrupted in the middle of the lie detector test. So between Bradley saying a thing and Richard listening, there are six months between a shot and the counter shot. Or to be even more precise, the last day with Rooney Mara, we were shooting Hair in the Garden, you know? Uh, and she came to me and said, Guillermo, don't tell anyone, but I'm pregnant. And 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 then when she came back, she came back with the baby. <laughs> so so there is there is that much time. And in the meantime, we had to uh, shoot the movie. We were so silly. We had shot every scene with four or five characters, and we were pending all the scenes with hundreds of extras. So we had to do COVID controlling. We did fifteen thousand COVID tests. I but I tell you, uh, I blessed the day I got this cast. And I blessed the day they came into my life. They, everybody was into it. Bradley Cooper is the best partner he, as a producer and as a star. And he just said, I'll leave. I'll come back, you know? Uh, and, and once you say Bradley's coming back, then everybody goes, okay, well, I'll come back. And everybody came back. And everybody was fearless. And some people had a week of shoot left. And they had to stay for seven weeks. You know? So it was... Uh, it was a beautiful lesson for me. It's I realize how lucky we are to be doing what we do, and and I put every I, I destroy my life for the movies I make. Otherwise, I'd be a, a belt athlete. You know? <laughs> but but it's worth it. You know, uh, 
the, the, the prospect of, of having your movie shut down in the middle for you know, six months may, you know, may sound like a nightmare. I mean, no pun intended. But how did the, the, the hiatus actually help you? It did. It did because we were able to edit all the material uh, that we had shot until then. And it gave us the black and white. Because here's what happened. We edited the second half over six months. And when there was nothing more to edit, I started watching it in black and white. And I went, hmm. And I said, why don't we shoot the carnival? And I keep the values. Because we were shooting it. The basic, basic layer was what is called three-point lighting, which is the classic studio lighting. you know. And we were shooting it with a very classic approach to the image. But once I saw that, I said, well, that's, this is going to benefit the carnival. Yeah, yeah. And, and we started accentuating certain things, chiaroscuro, illuminating the fog, blah, blah, blah. And, and we had another third of the second half to shoot. Mm -hmm. So we were able also to bring that to, to the city. And, and then uh, I didn't know how to break the news to the studio that I wanted that. So we were in a deli having a meeting, and I said, there's something I want to ask you, and the key, the, the key is, the clue is going to come with what I'm going to order. And I said, can you bring me a black and white cookie <laughs> <laughs> and coffee for the table? You know, and, and they said, look, we cannot release it uh, just like that, but you, we can have a second version that we release shortly thereafter. Yeah, uh, so, so how many of you had had a chance to see Nightmare Alley in color? Okay. Tell me, I, I, I think this movie looks even better in black and white. I mean, how Except many of you has, agree with that? It has two moments. There are two things that, that when he says, this is the blue box and this is the red box, <laughs> oh, yeah. you go, oh, he's screwed. <laughs> Not that he sees it in black and white, but it's an involuntary consequence. The other thing for those that saw it in color, the color red in the movie is so important in color as it leaves... When, when they leave the carnival and all that, and only Molly's in red in the city. It's a gorgeous movie, by the way. We actually, I started, the first person, I, I, I showed it to my wife, to Kim, and then I showed it to Bradley. And the rest of the time, we would call and say, man, the only version is color. Man, the only version is black and white. I said, it's like Betty and Veronica with Archie. <laughs> like, you know, oh, it's Betty, man. It's Betty. No, no, it's Veronica. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, I just feel like the because of the, the time period it takes place and the, the style, the the noir aspect of watching it in black and white is just so like, like I was watching it with you, and I just went like, oh my god, this like it brings that it's, it's much more gritty. Yeah, it's much more gritty, and and it lands the darkness of the movie in a different way. That's for sure. But uh, not for you to have to spend your hard-earned money. But if you can see it in color, see it in color. <laughs> uh, but, but what it does, look, noir is fantastic because basically it was a massive fuck you to the system. Mm -hmm. It was the game is rigged and the only way you can escape from it is through violence and, and disobedience. Basically, that's why the femme fatale is so fascinating on film because it's the only way a woman would have agency at that time, you know. And it's fascinating to see them take agency and be so strong. And then, uh, you know, uh, the 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 reality for me is um, it, it's still rigged and it's still fucked up mm -hmm. and yeah. it's still applicable, 
And and I think it's an honor that I, I wish uh, did more and more comebacks. Uh, because it, that genre reflects exactly the era in which it's made. Yeah, for sure. You know, the Mitchum Noirs are one thing. The Elliot Gould and Long Goodbye is post-Vietnam Noir. The 80s Noirs and 90s Noirs are mm -hmm. these broad-shouldered, neon-colored, greedy Noirs. And yeah. this is a Noir about being scared every day of your life. Well, uh, your cinematographer, uh, Dan Lawson. Now Lawson, yeah. Uh, your fourth time. Working together. Fourth time, and we've been working together since 1996. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So, so what were the what were the challenges uh, in terms of, of thinking, thinking black and white, and making a movie in color? Well, when we were doing it, we already were using, if you notice, the the black bars and the close-ups. Uh, we were using. Um, we we made some decisions that sounded crazy, but they were really good bets, and it was let's shoot the star. Uh, in the shadows and from behind a lot of the time because he's such a liar <laughs> that you yeah. that actually the audience knows what he's thinking he gives the bottle to Pete and then in the breakfast we don't even see his face we know what he's thinking uh, or he's following Pete or he tells Pete can you teach me and then we see him from behind and we the other bed we did which goes hand in hand with that was let's have the star of the film not talk for the longest time, mm -hmm. you know? And then when he talks, he talks in the dark mm -hmm. to the geek in the, in the uh, fun house. And, and, and those were decisions that, that were made with Dan. And Dan would, and then, uh, Bradley was so into it that Brad would sneak a little light for his eyes and Bradley says, no lights, I'm the star. <laughs> no lights <laughs> instead of the opposite which is what usually happens and Bradley would say why do you light that fetus with such love and not me because <laughs> I love that little guy you know, when you uh, got to film the, the final the last scene of the movie like, what was the last scene that you actually shot and what was it like when you said especially because you had a six month shutdown when you said you know, that's a wrap I'll tell you, because this is something I don't discuss much. I tweeted the other day about it, but it's a fascinating thing. It was the running over of Anderson. Uh, it, it, is, it is so elaborate, and, and I, we never discuss it. We didn't discuss it on the making of book, nothing. And it's so elaborate. We actually reproduced that car, the entire car, life-size, in foam. So we could actually run him over. <laughs> so, so we run him over. It's in a pulley system, on a rail system, and the guy, uh, when you see the guy get frontal hit and you see his legs going like this under the carriage, that's real. <laughs> we, had, we had the actor, we hit him and dragged him, and, and we, we were shooting that in the middle of a cold day in Toronto, a cold, cold night with the pulley system, and, and uh, we knew uh, that Holt, the actor, was going to be in the snow, laying down, and uh, I said, "This, this, uh, I need to celebrate the ending with my actors." So we ordered tacos, <laughs> and, and and everybody had tacos, and the tacos stayed with us for a few days after that. <laughs> but it was it was that that was the last scene, yeah. So so uh, last question is this: You know, the, as is it? They went very fast. It it goes fast. Time flies when you're having fun, Guillermo. Oh, God damn it! But the question is this, and and seriously, I mean, for everybody who was here, especially for you, 
the movie business has really taken a beat. A lot of things have taken a beating over these last two years, but the movie business especially. Uh, how important is it for people to support this medium? And you're all here, and we are so grateful that you were here. We are. But movies need to be seen on the big screen. Look, the, that's what that's the the fact is. I think a movie is uh, the uh, a film is the ambition of image, the ambition of theme, the ambition of risk. Movies that normally no one does. Though that's a great movie for me. I I cannot be uh, I cannot be a believer that this experience is going to go away. I can't. No, I, I believe this is going to stay. You know, and and I think in some form is going to change. And I, I, I wonder, what would Mozart think if I went back in time and I said, look, people are going to listen to your sonata while jogging or your quartet while prepping a soup. They would say impossible. The relationship we have with images and stories is changing, but this is a vital part of it. Absolutely. So all I can say is, look, um, there is an agreement that for me is very sacred with the audience, which is I, I do everything I can in my power to, to succeed with the stories I do. Success for me is fucking up in your own terms. Nothing more. Just I'm faithful to what I believe in and I tackle the movies with passion and I love seeing you here. I do. I love it. The director is, you know, when, the, when somebody tells you that directors are fast cars and models. Yeah, the models I was assembling and a, and a Chrysler that I drive. You know, not it's because really I do it to make to have this contact. The director is actually a really lonely profession. You op you open the bar, you turn on the light, you serve the drinks, you clean the puke, and you turn off the light and close the bar. And my only moment of solace, which in this movie was very difficult because of the pandemic, is being able to do this. So each and every one of you is hereby deputized to talk about this movie to anyone that will listen. Please, I'm deputizing you right now, and uh, you don't have a badge, but we don't need no stinking badges, so I, I'm okay with that. So, so a couple, couple of announcements. So, so we, have, we have signed posters for everyone in, in the front row. Uh, uh, second uh, request is if you could please stay seated uh, while Guillermo exits the theater. Is there, uh, is there any question your guys want? Okay. All Those right. Those were yeah. three questions, man. Right. Okay. Okay. You go first. You had your question. Here. Here. I was just wondering how the industrial look of Hamilton and um, Buffalo and the old buildings influenced you, and then yes. also how the Canadian crews made you feel on the oh, shoot. Yes. Look, I've been doing movies in Toronto since 1996, but consecutively for the last 10 years. And I love the cruise in Toronto. We are family. Uh, we, uh, whenever we can on Fridays during the shoot, we we go to the camera truck and eat cheese and drink cheap wine. Uh, I know everybody. I know their families. I know their lives. We get along fantastically. I love Toronto. I love Hamilton. Love Hamilton. Uh, it's a city that is very close to Toronto. And uh, it's very dear to my heart. It's a city that is exploding with creativity, great food. That's very important. And in Buffalo, it's a city I'm obsessed with. You know, as a, from a historical point of view, it's on Crimson Peak. It's on this movie. 
Uh, Buffalo was a city that was very rich, very prosperous, very important in American history, and all of a sudden it stopped. It's like Pittsburgh in that respect, you know? But architecturally, it's incredibly interesting because you have a catalog of almost every architectural style of the 19th and 20th century, and is rendered in this movie lovingly. That's Buffalo, New York, uh, and Toronto, and Hamilton combined to create a minute, minute sense of period. This movie, everything is there uh, from the popcorn bag to the prices that we had to reproduce from uh, props from a carnival in the 30s. Everything is there, but without the cities, we wouldn't have that. So those cities are very important. I am an uh, honor, on, uh, honorable Buffalonian. <laughs> there was a Guillermo del Toro day. I tried to abolish... Uh, uh, Fat uh, content was not successful, but but uh, you know I love those cities. Uh, I saw a question over. Yeah, you in the mask. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely love this movie. The way you crafted the tension, underlying tension in every scene. Kind of know that it's not going to end well for the main character, but yes. still we kind of want to know more every 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 scene basically. So, uh, what was the most challenging or the hardest scene for you to film? Thank you. Great question. Look, the movie, number one, there are two things that are very difficult on this movie. The main character I, in, in noir, the, is, noir is American tragedy. But in tragedy, the Greeks have the gods against them, and, and destiny is what grinds the human being. In American tragedy, in noir, the inexorability of a, a terrible ending is there, but it comes from the decisions of the character. So I said, what can I open with that can be hanging over the audience for the entire movie? I'm going to have him dragging a corpse and burning it and burning the house. You know? And then the, f the beautiful thing is we drive a structure in reverse. You think it's a brutal act, and it is, but you learn why he did it in the course of the movie. And right when you start to understand why he did it and you have a little empathy, for him, he's doing the worst things in the movie. Because I think that we are, uh, us humans are not good or bad. We're composites. And I want to defend the right to be imperfect for anyone and to have the hero have horrible things. Because we all were saints at 8 a.m., at 11 were assholes, at 1 p.m. were heroes, at 2 p.m. were fathers. We, we are not, there's not such a thing as the cartoon of somebody that is, no, it's impossible and suffocating. So I want you, in all my movies, to experience that imperfection. That was hard. And the second thing that was hard is you have the same character following him for the entire run of the movie. So to track it and for Bradley to track it and for Bradley for, to be the, the, the keeper of the real, realism and emotion of that character well, is, is really difficult and is a, a very high wire. And finally... Um, the fact that the movie is a ramp. It doesn't have the normal structure of something exciting and then something quiet and then something exciting. It's a ramp. It starts and it feels the first part starts lower, but you cannot lose a single minute of the first part. I tried. <laughs> and it goes, 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 and it, because it's a ramp, the ending lands a lot stronger. You know, if you had ups and downs, well, the ending is one more, but you have to be faithful to that uh, acceleration. Final question. 
Well, final question. Uh, 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 yeah, you in the hat and the mask. Good <laughs> night. Uh, it's the, I wanted to ask, like, um, you talked about it a little bit when, when you said in the scene that Bradley Cooper chose the decision to run up to the, to the, to the sheriff. Is there any telltale signs that you see when you, when you shoot something that a, the actor does something differently than you thought in your head? And oh, he's yeah. like, okay, that, that works way better to push it. Oh, yes. No, every, every, look, some people want want to say they're good actors, directors. I'd rather be a director of good actors. You know, I think that the blessing is that you have to adore the actor and, and recognize that the blessing is having that person. You know, I can tell you, we can we would stay here hours if I told you everything, Bradley or Kate or Rooney or uh, Ron or Tony Collette or uh, David Strathern, amazing, amazing cast. cast. What they gave me was treasure upon treasure upon treasure of things. Tony Collette saying, or you faint for the effort. I go, oh my God, this, what am I, how did I get this fortunate? You know, or David Strathern. Uh, talking about everybody wants to be seen, desperate to be understood, and the way he delivers that line. You know, what I say, because I, I co-wrote and I write most of my movies, or co-write, uh, when, when you get a great actor, you go, I'm a terrific writer. <laughs> <laughs> and when you don't get a good actor, you go, who the fuck wrote this shit? <laughs> so, so I constantly kept looking at Kim, hey, it's good screenplay. <laughs> And, and it is, that is the blessing. Now, I'll tell you one accident, my favorite accident in the movie is on the last punch uh, to Grindel. It was supposed to punch and land about uh, two feet away from the lens. But he punched and fell and landed, and Bradley landed on character. And I told the, the, the camera, stay, stay in his eyes. And that shot is so beautiful because of that. And that was uh, an accident. Now, discoveries, many. I thank you. You were very patient with me. I'm going to go back and paint some more models. I thank you for coming. You're hereby deputized. Thank you. Thank very, you, very everybody. Much. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theater's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theaters, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.